Hey, what's going on? It's At The Letters for Tuesday, January 31st. 2023 season nine of ATL kicking off Arden Zwelling here with Ben Nicholson Smith and our producer Christian Ryan. Good to be back in the saddle. Good to be back recording. We took a little break, had a little time to rest and recover, but then the ninth season of ATL is upon us. Season nine. That is that's pretty wild. I mean, nine in in the podcast world, like that's an old podcast. This is not like the fresh <laughs> new podcast anymore. But yeah, super excited to be back. And um, you know, hopefully you've had the chance to rest up a little bit. The season's obviously pretty pretty busy, but um really excited for the 2023 season and what that's gonna bring for the Jays and Major League Baseball. I mean, it's it's creeping up on us pretty quickly here. We want to take just a rare moment just to talk about the podcast off the top, what we want to do this season, our goals, uh, what we've been up to, etc. We're going to get into the Jays. We're going to get into their offseason. We're going to do uh, probably about 50 episodes this year of that, and we're going to talk plenty of Jays in this episode. If you don't want to hear us talk about ATL and you don't want to hear us talk about like what's coming up this year, it'll be time stamped in the description. Just go ahead, find that timestamp and skip ahead to when the Our uh, feelings won't be hurt. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Just skip ahead to when the hardcore baseball talk starts and uh, you will get what you want. But we do want to kind of reset things a little bit uh, here in season nine because I don't know, maybe we don't do this enough, Ben. Like maybe we don't uh, kind of talk about our thoughts on the podcast and, and our goals and kind of where we're at uh if physically and mentally as we begin uh another season our ninth doing atl so where are you at right now how are you feeling coming off of the off season what have you been up to uh take me inside your your headspace as we sit here right now uh, about to begin february and spring training about two weeks away yeah well i i do think that it's good to do this periodically and i do think you're probably right that we haven't done this enough because you know, I have a ton of thoughts on podcasting, on sports media, on what it means to create content. And this is not about to become a podcast <laughs> about podcasting. We are not about to become sports media critics. That's not what's happening here. Don't worry. We'll get to who's out of options. We'll get to who's a super two. All of that is still coming up. But yeah, I mean, I think that it's worth maybe pulling back the curtain a little bit more in some ways um, with this episode and then heading into this season. I think that yeah, for me, the, the off seasons, you know, it can be busy at times. There's GM meetings, there's winter meetings, but it, you know, and I'm I'm sure that you can relate to this. In fact, I know you can for a fact. But just like lifestyle wise, it definitely does. It slows down in a way that's like actually really necessary and really nice because you know, otherwise, it's a lot easier to find time to like go to the dentist or you know, eat healthy in the course of the off season than it is in the course of. Um, you know, 162 games in 180 days. So it's been great. Feel recharged, feel ready for the season. So really excited for it, but definitely. And, and you know, last off season was so different too, because it was the lockout. Before that, it was COVID. It feels like the first normal off season in a while. And it, it was, it was great on this end to have, uh, to have a real pause. It was absolutely the first normal off season in a while and like this is a, a much bigger thought and we're not going to get into this right now because i don't even know how i feel about it but i do think that like the pandemic has impacted everyone's psyche and has altered everyone's brain in a way that we're not even beginning to understand and we are not even going to reckon with for quite some time until we get far past it and it's probably still occurring but the last few years 
I did not off season well. Like I did not um, do a good job in the off season of resting, like you said, of recovering, of pulling back, of taking that time to really slow down. And it's like anything, right? It's like anything that you do physically or mentally. You work hard for a really long time. And then you have to rest because if you don't rest, you're not going to grow. If you just stay on the hamster wheel and you just stay on the treadmill uh, at all times, um, you just you, you can't progress and you can't get better and you can't really take stock of how your life is set up and where your mindset is at and the things that you need to attend to. So this past off season, as you said, one of the, the, the first normal one we've had in a while was great for me just in terms of addressing like some some health stuff that I really needed to to get a handle of that I'd been putting off for a long time I think that mentally I'm in a, a much better place right now than I was when I ended the uh, the 2022 season I think that I learned a lot this off season about working smarter rather than harder I think a lot of prior off seasons just due to my own anxiety and just due to um, just the way I am wired I would just try to dive into something else. I would immediately be like, all right, let's get into the Raptors every day, right. covering them. Let me just put up my hand to do a bunch of really ambitious features that I don't even really have the bandwidth to take on right now. What can I do next? What can I do next? Why am I not doing enough? And I don't know that that was the healthiest way to approach an off season after last year that I think, you know, for both of us was probably the most grueling and grinding of a, a season that we've had in a while. And the first time that we were like back on the road and back had a long, you know, um, had a full 162 where we were at a ballpark pretty much every day and we were out of the Zoom world and getting back into, you know, interacting with people in the real world again. I mean, there was a lot of demands and it was really taxing. So it was really important for me to just kind of reset and pull out and and take that rest and take that chance to recover and, and figure out how I'm going to really off season in the years ahead as well. Well, that, first of all, it's good to hear. And I think, you know, secondly, it's almost to, to bring it back to baseball a little bit here. Like it almost is like if you're a pitcher who's hauling, you know, whatever it is, 200 innings um, in the course of a season, then you're probably not going to want to go to winter ball. You're probably not going <laughs> to want to go and like pitch, you know, in Venezuela and throw another like 50 innings and, then show up to like, you know, mini camp in January and then roll right into spring training. There's probably something to be said um, for the 200 inning starters such as yourself for, you know, taking a little bit of a pause. Maybe you go to driveline, the, you know, writer or podcaster equivalent of that is, you know, honestly, for me, like I actually in the off season, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to this, but I really enjoy in the off season having the chance to consume content that's outside of the baseball world because in the season i'm like so thirsty for information i'm like trying to consume basically any sort of baseball podcast i can um that's where i, I like to listen so i get a lot of um my info through podcasts um you know whether it's fantasy podcasts whether it's you know discussions with you know interviews jay's podcasts of course um trying to consume as much as i can but it leads to a very similar type of content that I'm consuming all the time. And now I, I find myself just reading a lot more opinion articles that have nothing to do with baseball, uh, reading books that have nothing to do with baseball, not reading as much as I would like, but you know, consuming podcasts that have nothing to do with baseball. And then you come back and it's like, all right, of course, we're going to have a laser focus on the Jays. Of course, that's, that's going to happen. We're still going to do those things. But having the chance, I think, to just reset a little bit is really useful. And yeah, I mean, just getting to really take in content from other spheres 
is huge. And it's something that you don't get the opportunity to do that much in the regular season. Cause you think about it every night, you got a blue Jays game that you're locked in on for three and a half hours or wherever it is. And all the work that we do before and after a game. And then the next morning I get up and I'm like, all right, let's see what else happened around the league. Because I didn't yeah. have time to really lock in on what was going on in the NL West or wherever else. Right. Let's see who got hurt. Let's see who had a good pitching performance. Let's see who's hot. Like, let's see which teams are streaking and which teams are maybe not doing so well and could be surprise uh, sellers come the trade deadline. Like just kind of staying up on all that stuff because you need a global perspective. I think if you if you cover this sport, you don't want to be just completely singularly focused on only your team because like then you are just looking at a tree in the forest and that all takes time and it could be hard to really expand your horizons in a season without consuming it can be yeah and you know to some extent i miss it because to some extent like those days are fun when you know you have you know whatever it is a, a friday and it's a new series starting and there's kind of the anticipation um jays are in town like that's always a good time but then like you said when you think about it in our cases, a lot of the time we're on one of the pregame shows, whether it's for Blue Jays Central or whether it's radio, Fan 590, whatever the case. Then there's the game. Okay, you're locked in on the game. Then I'll often listen to the postgame show, Blair and Barker, um, you know, show Ali co-hosting in there sometimes. I like to consume that so I know what's being said. And then, of course, you're on Twitter, you're on social media, you wake up the next day, you're doing it all again. So it's like it really is this hamster wheel that doesn't stop. We're part of that mechanism. We're We're... Um, you know, fortunate to be part of that mechanism. And it's it's a fun experience, but it's also like it can create this sort of really this sort of tunnel vision that you need to create that space and separation from. Yeah, no, wouldn't trade it for anything. Love it. Like it's an incredible, unbelievable job. And I am uh, feeling really like excited and eager to get the 2023 season going. Like I can't wait for it to start i think that both of us have like some really cool things coming up in our roles with sportsnet covering this this team this year i think it's going to be a really really exciting and strong and fun year all around and i'm super eager to get started and i think the, that i've gotten there is huge that i yeah. because at the end of 2022 i mean long season covering the jays seven eight months whatever it was and then i went straight off to do the postseason i covered the nl side True. of the postseason for tv so like i was like i was pretty burnt out by the end of that it was a lot um so it like just takes some time to kind of turn that around and so, so like maybe we can we could talk about the podcast a little bit as well like i think it's important as well to just step away from the podcast for a little bit and to take a little bit of a break and like thank you to everyone who reached out whether it's twitter email in person whatever like honestly heard from someone somewhere every day when is the podcast coming back when's the next atl guys jay signed someone we need an episode guys it's been a long time guys a lot's happened guys you got to get come back we appreciate that like that's that's huge like i i don't appreciate enough like how large and invested our audiences because i really don't interact with the numbers during the year and then at the end of the year we have a meeting with amal delich who runs the podcast at, at sportsnet and he gives us all these numbers and i'm every year i'm like holy crap like that like that many people listen to this i just never even think about it and i don't realize it and it's probably a good thing that i don't think about it during the year but it's really really meaningful and it's really important it really like means a lot to me i know it means a lot to you and we want to be there for people throughout the regular season. And we are. We want to be there for people throughout spring training, throughout the postseason. We want to be doing more. But I also would never want ATL to become like a quantity over quality 
thing. And I think that part of maintaining the quality of the podcast, which is why I think a lot of people um, are as into it as they are, uh, is taking a little break in the off season to recharge and reset and, and come back anew with some real like goals in mind for, for an upcoming season. Just took the Chad Green signing to push us over the edge. We we're just waiting for that. <laughs> None of the other moves were big enough. You know, Kiermaier, Bassett, now Varsho, Chad Green. All right, we'll do a podcast. Um, but yeah, I think 100% agree with that. I mean, our our audience is really big. I mean, yeah, hundreds of thousands of, of downloads in the course of the year. And we're really happy that so many people choose to spend their time with us. Um, definitely not something that we would take uh, lightly at all because there's a ton of great podcasts and great content out there. So Really appreciate uh, everyone for sticking with us. And, you know, as, as you were kind of hinting at there, Arden, as we start to look ahead for 2023, I think that the, you know, first of all, the team's going to be good. So that's, you know, makes things a lot more interesting than like the 2018, 19 version of the Toronto Blue Jays. But, you know, I think that even beyond that, there are ways that, you know, you and I have talked about as far as making this content really interesting and different. And, pulling back the curtain a little bit to, you know, not, not as far as like, I, I never want this to become like so navel gazy that it's like, Hey, you know, my flight was delayed. And I'm, you know, basically like rage podcasting about some airline that, you know, did me wrong. <laughs> That's not where we're going here, but it's more, there's a lot of questions that I get and I'm sure you get them too. Um, just about what it's like to be around the team, what it's like for these players, what it's like for these coaches or front office officials as they go through the grind of 162 game season, the whole experience of that um, for for them, for you and me and in our roles that we have, you know, those little questions um, and those those little insights that we have, I think can can add color and add context to what it means to be around this team. So I, I hope to share some of that stuff in the course of this season. I was just talking to a Blue Jay about that uh, a few weeks ago about how like, man, I wish I could relate better the grind of a regular season and what you guys go through. And I try to, but I don't know if you're not up close to it, at least like we are observing it. And certainly, you know, for players and coaches and support staff who don't get mentioned enough, but also are literally living it. It's really hard to... Uh, relate to people how challenging it is and how much it changes you as a person and how different you are uh, at the end of those eight months than you are at the beginning of it like it really so I like I agree with you I would like to bring fans behind those scenes a bit more this year I would like to use our position as being like essentially like embedded with the team throughout the year to kind of help pull back that curtain and to help show fans that side of it because like look you're gonna get our reaction to chad green signing and to brandon belt signing and to the whatever injury is gonna come up and whoever's gonna slump in the time that the yankees and orioles are gonna you know have benches clearing incidents with the blue jays at some point this year right like you're gonna get our reaction to all that stuff but i do think we can also like take the podcast a bit further and, and make it very unique and interesting and must listen by giving fans like that behind the scenes perspective that uh you know you can really only get by being in the clubhouse every day gleaning it yeah it's exactly i think you know first of all you, you know when you say the phys or the differences uh beginning of the year to the end of the year like players experience that to a, to a huge huge extent i mean we're kind of talking about that too for ourselves 
um, you know, like it, it's easier for me to be in, in good shape mentally and physically in February than it is at the end of September. It's also true for the players. They show mm-hmm. the best shape of your life thing. Like that happens for a reason. It's because they've had the chance to rest and build up as well. By the end of the year, these guys lose like 10, 15 pounds sometimes. Like that's pretty common. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And yeah, like I'm, I'm really excited to kind of answer some of these questions that, you know, I've, I've heard over the years, whether it's, you know, with spring training, for example, do players get bored of it? It's really long. It's seven weeks. Yeah. They get bored. You know, when do they eat? When do they show up to the ballpark? (laughs) Do they read Arden's articles? Do they find it stressful to be, you know, in the spotlight in the way that they are? Like, these are questions that I'm not saying I have the answers to every single one of them, but I'm sure we can send people in those directions. And they're, they're questions you honestly can't really Google. Um, I get asked them a lot. I think that it's kind of fun to talk about those, you know, if, if it's and without, you know, telling tales at a school here, but I, I think there are ways to convey what that experience is like for the people around the team. It's funny with the weight loss thing for players. It's kind of the opposite, or at least not, I'm not going to say for us, for me, <laughs> it's the opposite during the regular season. And I like, I'm feeling good that I have uh, shed the eight pounds that I gained last year during the regular season. And like my training in the gym has gone from like just getting into a hotel gym and trying to just maintain what I had during the regular season. And then even having like weeks where it's like, man, I was not even able to do that much to being really consistent with it in the off season. And then also experiencing what it's like to turn down the knob on stress and turn up the knobs on like sleep and nutrition and thing like understanding how powerful that can be and what a difference those things can be, can make and then relating that to what ball players are telling us and what like Mark Shapiro is telling us with the, the the facility in Dunedin and with the high performance department and the resources that they're giving athletes and all the things that they do to help players manage that stress and manage their workouts and their bodies and their mental health uh, throughout the season. Getting to experience that yourself really does help you understand how important that is for for athletes. Podcast wise, we are in mid-season form right now, just ready to go, <laughs> ready to roll. So, uh, as Ben was saying, like it's it, we're going to hold each other accountable to help to bring some of that perspective. We would like you, the listeners, to also hold us accountable. Please hit us up with questions throughout the season. You don't have to wait for us to to prompt you. You can hit us up on Twitter at Arden Swelling at B Nicholson Smith. Uh, I have made a pledge to be more active on social media this year and i am watching that into into existence <laughs> right now this i've said it out loud uh there's gonna be an instagram post coming at some point i'm not gonna say when i'm gonna get uh you know get up the nerve to do it but uh we're gonna start trying to show fans a bit more of uh, a different side of ourselves or i should just say of myself i'm not gonna speak for you ben you're you're already uh, very active i'm sure on on instagram but um <laughs> i'm gonna enough. try it I'm going to try to kind of show more of myself to to fans. It's something that I have resisted extremely stubbornly for a number of years and it's time for it to end. So uh because it's it's dumb <laughs> and it's not something that I should do and there's no reason to fear it uh and to dread it. So I'm just like working out these thoughts aloud right now to hold myself accountable to do more of that. So as fans, please like send us questions, send us off topic 
questions if you want to hear like non-baseball topics or like behind the scenes uh things yep. that you're interested in ideas uh like we'll take those we're not going to spend entire podcasts doing what we just did this is going to be the longest we talk about anything like this but if there's like a five minute off topic thing that we can get to one week uh we think it's going to make the podcast better we think it's going to keep us very engaged keep us on our toes and it's something that we kind of want to bring this year that, that maybe we haven't in prior you just gained like three dozen new instagram followers and i bet <laughs> hundreds of people were like what arden's on instagram so watch out it's a new it's a new era folks it's uh, it's happening right here anything you want to add just the appreciation for the listeners who many of whom have um, listened for years some of whom obviously are new listeners um, I know that new listeners join us every year. So if this is your first episode listening, welcome. Really excited for a big um, you know, year, a big start to the year anyway. We'll see what happens with the Jays themselves, um, whether they live up to their potential or not. But this is a really good team and it should be a really interesting season. At the letters at sportsnet.ca. That's the other thing that I forgot. Email us. Going to be active on responding to emails this year. Holding holding ourselves accountable here, Ben. Speaking it all into existence. At the letters at sportsnet.ca. Email us literally anytime. We will get back to you. Want to use more emails on the podcast. And yeah, like I would echo what Ben said. Huge thank you to you, to the listeners. Like it means the world to us. Like I am so appreciative of the audience that we have built over eight years uh we i think last year we released 48 episodes i think alma was saying Uh, it's like high 40s low 50s that's kind of been what we've done the last you know few seasons and we're gonna keep that volume up like we're gonna keep that going we hope that fans feel well served by that volume uh and we hope that we are delivering a consistently high quality product at that value volume as well for for everyone throughout the season those are the goals for the pod in season nine yeah well we will certainly have a lot to talk about i think that's pretty clear the way things are shaping up okay pod discussion navel gazing is done after this we're gonna get into the blue jays off season some assorted thoughts that ben and i have been collecting over the uh, last few weeks that we have been on hiatus all that and so much more and we continue on at the letters Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It continues on At The Letters. Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith, our producer, is Christian Ryan. Uh, Ben, every team is different every year. Like in baseball, no team ever truly runs it back. And every team is actually different at the end of the season than they are at the beginning of the season. Like way more different than I think we actually give credence to. But how different do you think the Blue Jays are going to be in 2023 versus 2022? Like are these just your typical run-of-the-mill differences season to season or do you think that we are going to see an actually like dramatically different brand and style of baseball from this club honestly i think the brand and style will be somewhat different like noticeably different when you pair it with the fence the changes to the ballpark the changes to the outfield i mean this could really be a different feel to this team i I think the end result is probably going to be pretty similar they were a really good team last year Also in 2021, great team, just missed the playoffs that year. I think they're a similar caliber of team where they're not in Major League Baseball's elite. They're not the Dodgers. They're not Atlanta or the New York Mets or the Houston Astros. 
But they're right behind that group. I think that they could push into that group this year if a few things go well and they could emerge as a powerhouse team. I think as things stand now, they're a very, very good team, definitely a playoff team, definitely one of the top 10 teams in Major League Baseball. So the way that they get there, though, to answer your question, I think is is going to feel a bit different because it's going to be more left-handed and the defense in the outfield will be better than it was before. I do think that the games will be a little bit different. I think there will be fewer slugfests. Uh, I think that the Blue Jays are going to prevent runs better than they have in recent years, but I also don't think they are going to score runs as voluminously as they have in recent years. I think that instead of like the seven to five, eight to six games, you're going to see like the four to two, five to three games. And that may not seem like that big of a deal but it is going to put a lot of pressure on this team to pitch well to defend well to base run well and to be very concentrated and focused and locked in and i feel like the blue jays have made some real strides there certainly in outfield defense you're running out three center fielders in the outfield on any given day in Varsho, Kiermaier, and Springer. That's going to be important with different dimensions uh, and with some of the pitchers on this pitching staff that allow uh, a fair amount of contact. When you think about a Bassett, or even like a, a Barrios has given up a, a good amount of fly ball contact as well. Alec Manoa gives up a yep. bunch of contact, so that's going to be really important. I think base running is an area where the Blue Jays are going to be a lot better and where they're going to try to exploit the opposition a lot more, taking the extra base, being aggressive, putting plays on. We know John Schneider likes to manage that type of baseball. And I think that by adding like a Kiermaier and a Varsho, the Blue Jays have actually made themselves like a, a much more dynamic team in terms of speed and what they can do. Like you think about the guys, the playing time they will replace when you look at Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr., like great athletes, certainly. Um, and for Hernandez, at least, like pretty good speed, but not great instincts on the base paths, uh, not great at sort of converting those tools into making an impact with their base running. So I do expect the Blue Jays to be more crafty and cunning uh, running on outfielders, second to third, third to home on on those sort of margin calls, like those really in-game, that decision-making is huge. And then there's also the focus element and there's just the like minding your P's and Q's and the this is the end of a long road trip and we played a bunch of games in a row um, and I am fatigued mentally and physically and I need to find a way in the field to be locked in and to not let a ball get under my glove and to know my clock on the infield with the runner from home to first and how much time I have. I need to know where I am sending this ball from the outfield, which cutoff men I'm hitting when I can make an attempt at throwing a guy out on the base pass, like things like that, pitch ex- execution, game calling, holding runners on, like all those little things. I think that's going to be really important. I think the Blue Jays brought in a lot of individuals who do that at a very high level and a very consistent level when you think about guys like Kiermaier, Varsho, and Bassett. Yeah, and we'll start really learning a lot more about the feel of this team pretty soon. Like, it is kind of wild how how soon spring is, first of all. And then it will also be the first camp that John Schneider will be running as the manager of this team because this time last year, it still was Charlie Montoyo, and now it's John Schneider. Don Mattingly is in as the team's bench coach. I don't think we've 
maybe I forget what the sequence was, whether we've discussed that or not. But, you know, this will be a different leadership group on the field for the Blue Jays um, with the manager and the bench coach having turned over since 2022. So, uh, you know, we don't know exactly what form that'll take, but I do remember before the playoff series against the Mariners, Schneider was out there really encouraging the pitchers as they were going through a round of PFP. And you're not going to do that every single series. If you're in Texas in July or in Kansas City in August, you're going to pick your spots and make sure that you're not overexerting guys. But I, I do think that there will be an attention to detail that's really emphasized. And this team is still going to make mistakes because they're human beings and they play 162 games. And so it's not going to be perfect baseball. But I do think that we'll see a team that attempts to cut down on those mistakes where possible. I should add Whit Merrifield to that uh, list as well as a guy who brings a ton of intensity, a guy who is very difficult to play against. A guy's a very underrated and instinctual base runner, in my opinion. Remember the slide into home against Gary Sanchez, uh, that game against the Twins down the stretch last year, right? When Merrifield actually contorted his slide to exploit the rules, like based on something that he had picked up earlier in the game off of Sanchez and making that decision on the fly and making that play like in real time is very, very difficult. Uh, and, and Whit Merrifield like was just on point with that. So I should sort of add him to that. Here's the catch. Here comes Merrifield out at the plate. Will the Blue Jays challenge? Merrifield is arguing. John Schneider's got his hand up and the Blue Jays want to have a look. He gets at the versatility that the Blue Jays are going to have this year that maybe they haven't had quite as much in recent years. The Blue Jays have been trying to build out this versatility for seasons now. Ross Atkins uh, and the Blue Jays front office group have been talking about like wanting more flexibility and more versatility in terms of the lineups that they can construct and the defenses that they can deploy for seasons and seasons and seasons. I feel like they're kind of getting close to that. Now, um, they're obviously going to be more left-handed this year. Varsho, Kiermaier, Brandon Belt. Um, but there's also going to be like a deeper slate of bench options for John Schneider, depending on what the opposition does, uh, depending on who's starting, depending on how the Blue Jays want to match up against the, the action of the pitches of the, the starter who's on the hill against them, whether they're a righty or a lefty and, and swing planes, what parts of the zone certain hitters like to attack. Like I think there's a better blend of types and styles of hitters on this club. And you think about it, any given night, you're probably going to have at least two of Whit Merrifield, Santiago Espinal, or Kevin Biggio on your bench essentially yep. if everybody's healthy and and playing that gives you a lot more options late in the game plus one of Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk likely could if be one, right if the, if it's not if one of those guys isn't DHing so now John Schneider just has better pinch hit options better pinch run options more defensively versatile options guys who can move around to a bunch of different spots i think the blue jays can be a much more dynamic team this year not only in how they fill out their lineup to start games but also in how they finish them 
For sure. And I think, you know, the goal number one for this team has to be just to get through spring healthy because, you know, the last thing you want is, oh, something goes wrong the last week and all of a sudden Vinny Capra's here, you know, in the lineup all the time. And it's just not the way things are, are um, designed, of course. But as things stand now, they're in a good spot. The bench looks good. I agree with you that there's more versatility. There are more ways that they can deploy this bench. And on paper, as we sit here now, this is a team that looks really good. I think there's still probably a couple ways to improve it, um, whether that's internally or whether that's from uh, someone who's not currently in the organization. You look at that number five rotation spot right now, you say Kikuchi and Mitch White. Um, you know, Kikuchi, everyone listening here knows the question there and and what he was not able to do for the Blue Jays in 2022. So that remains a question as we enter the next season for for Kikuchi. And Mitch White, I mean, he has uh, promised, but, you know, he didn't really take the opportunity that was given to him and prove that he is a, a clear major league starter. He's obviously a major league pitcher, someone who can be used in some capacity on a major league staff, but it's not clear that he's a major league starting pitcher. So that is a question at the back of that rotation. And there probably is room, ironically enough, after so much talk about getting more left-handed, to add a bench piece that's more right-handed. And there's one bench spot right now that's unaccounted for that you could use a switch hitter or right-handed hitter. Yeah, Nathan Lucas probably projects to be there. Right now, maybe Otto Lopez. Kind of depends on how you want to construct your roster. But yeah, that's definitely a place where the Blue Jays could upgrade so that you've got Lucas and Lopez at AAA. And those are the guys that you were calling on um, during the season. I agree with you. I think there there is always room for more pitching and more depth starters. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I really like the Zach Thompson move that kind of flew under the radar True. a little bit. But this is a guy who, I mean, he's only a season removed from a really strong 2021 like he was one of those many Miami Marlins who are now with the Blue Jays like Anthony Bass Garcia Zach Pop uh, Adam Simber all these guys who were on that team and he's now joined the Blue Jays in a deal with Chavez Young going the other way he's still got some very real big league stuff if you look into his cutter uh, in that pitch, which was not very effective for him in 2022, but go back to 21 and the way that he was using it and how effective it was and some of the characteristics and traits with that pitch. There's a lot of intrigue there for me, man. I think there's a lot of upside if the Blue Jays can help him rediscover what he was doing in, in 2021. Like his, he's got a, a cutter that, and I'm not going to get into like explaining what seam shifted wake is, but it, it creates a very like his cutter creates a very sort of complex phenomenon with how the seams of the baseball impact its movement and it gets a ton of late life because of that and it is very unusual and unique to other cutters that hitters are used to seeing so hitters that recognize cutter in those first two tenths of a second that it is thrown and then execute their swing to where they expect a cutter to end up zach thompson's cutter does not end up there uh and he mixes that with like a super high spin fastball that's staying up and a sinker that's going down and a change up with a ton of movement he's got a curveball i mean he's got a really good repertoire and a lot of tools to use so he's obviously got to figure some stuff out because 2022 didn't go the way that he wanted it to obviously but if the Blue Jays can get him back on track, he's got three minor league options remaining. He's on the 40 now. He's obviously already made his big league debut. Like This is exactly the kind of guy who could come up and make a spot start if you've got 
an injury in your rotation or you say Kikuchi is like, you are going to the bullpen, man, because this is not working out as a starter. Or Mitch White's going through some stuff or whatever. Zach Thompson can fill in and give you a big league outing. I think he's got a better chance of doing that than some of the other sort of non-roster invitees that the Blue Jays are bringing in this spring. And if he's not doing that, he could be that guy who comes up and like saves the bullpen at the end of a really long trip when guys are taxed and someone else is hurt and someone's arm is barking and Jordan Romano is unavailable because he's pitched three days in a row you use those five options that you have on a guy like zach thompson and you bring him up and he comes out of your bullpen to like cover three innings that can really save a team at a tough spot in a season so i really really like that pitch that that pickup for a lot of reasons two and two and he strikes him out one two three for zach thompson and he looking good he's punched out four brewers yeah, really low key. I think when talking about the Jays offseason, like all, you know, full disclosure, I, I could have gone the entire podcast without even mentioning him. And it, that's not because he's not important. Like, it's just he's easy to overlook. But you're right. And, you know, when, when they did um, acquire him, looking at the numbers, it's like this guy really could be um, a major league contributor. In fact, it would be more surprising if he doesn't contribute at some point this coming season. Um, so he's definitely a name to keep an eye on Thompson um, for the Jays. And it's funny, too. I mean, I don't think this is on purpose by any stretch. But, you know, you hear the Jays talk about we really want to replicate what the Astros are doing with the Rays or the Dodgers. You know, those are the kind of model franchise in Major League Baseball. Rarely do you hear that about the Miami Marlins. But uh, <laughs> they do they do happen to have, uh, you know, quite a few ex-Marlins, including Don Mattingly on their staff. Yeah, no kidding. They've really rebuilt a lot of that team. I love the Chad Green move as well that the Blue Jays made here, like mere moments before we started recording here on uh, Tuesday, January the uh, the 31st. He's coming off of Tommy John surgery. He's We don't know yet where he's at in his recovery, but I, I would not be expecting to see him on a mound until the back half of the season. But you were talking about a guy who prior to undergoing Tommy John surgery was very durable, very effective, strikeout rate up over 30% over the three seasons prior to, to surgery, uh, a low ERA, like... There's a ton of upside here for the price that the Blue Jays are are committing to, which is eight and a half million dollars over two years with like a very unique um, and creative option structure. Like this is the kind of guy, if he comes back from Tommy John and looks like himself, that the Blue Jays are going to be looking to trade for at yep. the deadline. Like this is who the Blue Jays are going to be looking to add at the end of July and in early August as they load up for the postseason. So why not get that guy? now and it doesn't only fill that need and help you win later this year but in future seasons as well because we know all about the volatility of relievers like you can't just like you know pencil in like Jordan Romano and Eric Swanson to just continue to be as good as they have been bad things are gonna happen to guys who you're expecting to be good and you've also got Jimmy Garcia and Anthony Bass uh hitting free agency or I think there might be an option on Garcia but like you know, you've still got holes to fill and you still want to keep building in this bullpen and you can never have enough depth and the position the blue jays were in prior to the green deal was like really counting on someone from within 
whether that's Hayden Younger, whether that's Yosfer Zulueta, like, you know, whether that's Hagen, Dan, or whoever, somebody emerging to be a legit late game weapon for them because they're going to need somebody later this season, or going out and acquiring that someone. And we saw at the prior deadline last year, the Blue Jays tried to do that and weren't able to find either deals that they like or teams that were willing to move the players that they were after. So I like the Chad Green deal for all those reasons and more. Yeah, I think it's a great deal. It's really simple, really, you know, modest in scale, right? $8.5 million guarantee in the context of Major League Baseball, modest guarantee, relatively low risk here. And as you said, if he's able to recover, um, his Tommy John was June of 2022, correct? Yes. Yeah. So then, yeah, midseason in 2023, he's poised to return and exactly give the Blue Jays that kind of high leverage reliever. And this is not like, a, hey, he could be good when Chad Green has been in the major leagues and he has, you know, what is it? He's got seven years of major league experience, still only 31 years old, and his career strikeout rate is 32.5%. So way better than average. Your average strikeout rate for pitchers in major league baseball is about 22%. So he's well, well above average, way better than average at getting swings and misses. And that's incredibly valuable late in games. So I think that's a great pickup. And then you see where it goes. I mean, if he's really effective in the second half of the season, he's a big part of your playoff plans. If that all goes well, then the Jays are obviously exercising his option, um, which is, you know, there's some complicated options that we don't have to get into the full details of here, but they would exercise um, that option if he performs up to his capability. And then you have a piece moving forward. Um, But really in the meantime, they're going to have to figure things out for the first few months. And then there's a high likelihood that he can help them out in a really meaningful way for the second half. Yeah, the Blue Jays do have a $5 million club option on Jimmy Garcia just uh, for 2024, just to get that on the record. But this does also help them plan for 24 as well, right? This is managing like the near term and the long term as well. Like I just think it's really smart front officing. Um, and I think as a Jays fan, you have to be really encouraged that the Blue Jays are still here at the end of January, early February spending money and still making the roster better and continuing to increase payroll like we are already gonna see the blue jays be a luxury tax team this year for the first time in franchise history like they are going to run a record high by a mile in terms of payroll like we'll see where it ends up and it's all it's always tricky too because you know blue jays might end up somewhere like 220 million like pure payroll but then their luxury tax bill will look like 250 or something like that when you factor in benefits and pre-arb pool and all that stuff either way we're talking franchise record. We're talking paying into the tax for the first time and like paying a 20% penalty on the first $20 million past that first luxury tax threshold of $233 million. And then we'll see if they even get into the next tier if they keep adding. Um, who knows? It creates all kinds of like interesting questions going ahead as to whether the Blue Jays maintain this level of spending, this level of payroll into 24 and beyond because your tax penalties increase as time goes on. So like next year, they would have to pay 30% on A overages. And if they cross the line for a third consecutive 
season, they'd have to pay 50% on any overages. So it's just going to be really interesting to see what this means, not only this year, but going forward. And just to put this out there, by the way, the Blue Jays should be running a, a high payroll, as all teams should. The Blue Jays, like, they, they have very successful ownership and clearly very committed ownership. And, uh, oh, by the way, every MLB club got, like, a you know, $30 million check from the Bamtech sale this offseason and $65 million from the streaming rights last year. And there's tons and tons of money in the game. Every team should be spending. Nobody should be crying poor like Cincinnati or Oakland or Pittsburgh or whatever. But I think as Blue Jays fans, you just have to be encouraged with a win-now club that should be making win-now moves doing that and putting their money where the mouth is. Yeah, exactly. And they're doing it in big ways and small ways. I mean, we've talked about their recent history over the last few off-seasons of signing $20 million players, going back to Ryu and then Springer and Semyon, Gosman, and this off-season, Chris Bassett, $20 million AAVs. So they are clearly not hesitating to spend on top free agents. They pursue these guys. Um, some of them they get, some of them they don't get, some of them they have general you know, interest in in the way that they did for Carlos Correa for Xander Bogarts this offseason you know it's not like they were necessarily you know runners up or like right there in there with the with the teams that got it but there's interest there and that's you don't do that lightly you're not going to do that if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates because it's you know kind of insulting if there's no chance of follow-through but the Jays legitimately have interest in this top tier of players and as they move ahead here you know as as a team run by Mark Shapiro at the at the top of the baseball ops um, and business ops, you know, this is someone who plans things out very carefully. So it would be very, very surprising to me if Mark Shapiro was willing to go over this threshold for 2023. And then in 2024 and 2025, the last seasons when the Blue Jays know for a fact that they have Boba Shatt and Vlad Guerrero Jr., when they have a core around those guys that's also very strong. It would be very, very surprising to me if those resources somehow disappeared. So I think, you know, right now they're definitely in the midst of this window um, that they really want to take advantage of. Obviously, they want it to be sustainable. Who knows? Maybe they'll extend Vladdy or Bo. We'll get to that, obviously, as spring unfolds here. But, you know, this is a team that's right in the middle of a very intriguing period of time. Yeah, I agree. It would be surprising to see the Blue Jays try to duck back under next year um and you even just kind of look at the construction of the roster at this point like you do have substantial money coming off the books next winter like Hunjin Ryu's deal will be up we'll see with with Matt Chapman um obviously Belt Kiermaier on one-year deals but if those guys leave they are going to there's going to be a lot of playing time vacated and you're going to need to replace that because you're still trying to win next year so if matt chapman goes out and has the year that he had last year and you know if brandon belt gives you like 400 really good plate appearances this year like you, you, kevin kiermeyer plays every day in center field or something close to it if anthony bass leaves and he gives you like 60 70 innings out of your bullpen someone's got to fill that time next year so you're gonna have to go out and replace that if you're not creating something internally if you're not developing internally and that's been a shortcoming for the blue jays especially on the pitching side in recent seasons it's like a lack of internal development that's why you're having to go out and like sign a basset that's why you're having to go out and splash money and spend money on your rotation free agency 
every year is because you are not having enough guys outside of Alec Manoa being produced internally to give you that tasty, tasty surplus value that, that every team is looking for. Um, and that in tandem with trading away a Gunnar Hoagland and a Simeon Woods Richardson and Austin Martin and Gabrielle Moreno and Jordan Groshans. I mean, the Blue Jays have like dipped into their prospect capital, like really substantially in recent years as well. So not really developing as well as I think that they need to in tandem with using a lot of high upside prospects to acquire win now talent has left the Blue Jays in this position where they're having to spend like this. So it's going to, they're going to have to continue spending like that if they are not developing more effectively to say nothing of the like uh, arbitration salaries that will continue to go up for guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bobachet and Jordan Romano if they are not extended. Yeah. Dalton Varsho. Um, they got Alec Manoa. They've got a lot of, of potentially expensive players. I mean, that's, that's partly the product too, of being a good team. You know, you look at the Oakland A's and like, I don't have it in front of me, but I kind of doubt that they have a lot of big arbitration cases this year because they don't have a lot of great players who are putting up the big numbers that get you to arms. So this is partly like, it's such a great problem to have for major league teams. The Dodgers run a big payroll. The Mets run a big payroll. It's not everything because you can be the Rays and you can kind of finesse your way through a get a Pete Fairbanks here and a Yandy Diaz there. And, you know, the, what the Rays do is incredible in many ways. But, man, it's just so much easier if you can spend. Like, you have so much more room for error. You can really bid for a tier of players that is not available to the Tampa Bay Rays. And that's really good because you can keep your own guys like a Bo or a Vlad. I'm saying can, I'm not saying will, because we don't know that yet, but they can, if they want to, they could keep those guys or one of them. Um, and you can bid on Shohei Otani when he becomes a free agent again in eight or nine months. No, 12 months, whenever it is, whenever it is that Shohei Otani becomes a free agent. And I don't think he's going to sign with the Toronto Blue Jays, but I think they'll make a pitch because that's the kind of tier of player that you have access to. Here's another thing that happens when you build your roster in that fashion. You get kind of old. The Blue Jays, I think, are an older team this year than people maybe realize because they've been so young for a while now. And they do still have guys like Alejandro Kirk and Boba Shett, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who are extremely young. Dalton Varsho, very young as well. But they're also going to be relying in a big way on guys like George Springer and Brandon Belt and Whit Merrifield and Kevin Kiermeyer. That's four regulars who are 33 or older. And Springer, Kiermeyer, and Belt, those are three players whose 2022s ended with surgery to correct uh, nagging injuries that they had been playing through for years. Uh, Belt, I mean, it's obvious he's had knee injuries for years. Prior to that, he had he had four concussions. He had multiple hand fractures. And like, yes, like that's acute stuff and not chronic stuff, but that is stuff that happened. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer has uh, had a ton of IL stints. Uh, he appeared in uh, just over 60% of Tampa Bay's games over the last seven seasons. So he's missed 40% of them or nearly 40% of them, you know, hip, quad, wrist, knee, thumb, hand, uh, George Springer, quad, elbow. I mean, you know, Blue Jays fans have, have been through it, even on the pitching side, right? Kevin Gossman, Chris Bassett, 
Yusei Kikuchi. These are all guys who are 32 or older. You look at the bullpen, Adam Simber, Jimmy Garcia, Anthony Bass, Tim Meza. I mean, we're all talking, these are all 32 and over. I think that it's okay. Like it's good to have experience and, and you, it's good to have a, a blend of some players who know how to win and who have been there before, along with younger guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Boba who play every day and guys who are kind of in the middle, like, like Matt Chapman and Jose Barrios who are kind of like right in the thick of their careers. But I think one thing Blue Jays fans should be prepared for this year is a lot of workload management and a lot of, uh, days off and a lot of strategic rest uh and like just get ready now for like the whinging during the season over why is this guy getting a day off and why are they backing that guy off why are they skipping this start like the blue jays are gonna have to do this like they're gonna have to be very delicate and careful about how they manage workloads this year because they have a very old roster even Whit Merrifield who was like the iron man of baseball for a number of years missed time last year because he had this foot thing during the season so I think the Blue Jays are just gonna have to be very mindful about that this season and I think the fans should be prepared for workload management to be a big topic throughout the summer yeah and that's in a good situation right Uh, the alternative is that it's someone's on the IL and Nathan Lucas is getting 350 plate appearances and Vinny Capra is starting four days a week. And that's, you know, that there are situations where guys can emerge and the Jays would really benefit if that can happen again, as it did with Espinal um, to a large extent in the last couple seasons. And he's emerged as a really useful major league player. Maybe it's a big bounce back from Kevin Biggio, who, you know, is a very good option against right-handed pitching, especially, and someone who, if he is playing second base, can certainly handle that position, probably ready for, um, you know, maybe a bit more of a, a enhanced role um, after a couple seasons where it hasn't gone exactly according to plan for him. But I think that's a great point about the age of this team and probably snuck up on this roster a little bit. Might surprise us once, you know, we start watching these games and we'll be reminded uh, once they're on our screens every day or at the ballpark every day that this really is a team that's that's gotten a lot older. And with that, there's risk. Um, there's obviously benefits too because they're experienced and skilled, but there's a risk. One thing I wonder about is like how much pressure there's going to be on guys like Dalton Varsho and Brandon Belt to play regularly against left-handed pitching because those aren't necessarily ideal matchups considering the uh numbers they've put up in their career like oh, this is an aside but I'd like don't the Varsho deal is great like I think that it's a, a great ad for the Blue Jays this type of move they need to be making now it's a tough price to stomach I understand Gabriel Moreno is a really special athletic player but like Varsho is going to be a very meaningful piece for this team but I also think that Dalton Varsho's offense is a lot more uh Grichuckian than maybe people realize pretty high strikeout dude low walk very impressive power but not great on base uh a guy who who you know, creates a lot of barrels right it's going to hit a lot of homers but there's also going to be a lot of chase in there and there's going to be a lot of swinging strikes and he is liable to have a month where he hits like 180 like that could happen he's liable to have like a three-week span where the topic of discussion is man Dalton Varsho's 
in a real funk. And if the Blue Jays run into some tough lefties, I mean, Dolan Varsho had extreme splits last year. He did all of his damage in the power department against right-handed pitching um, and really did not get on base at all against lefties. So just how much he's in the lineup against lefties is a consideration. Same thing for, for Brandon Belt, who will be helped this year by not being shifted as aggressively, but also has had his own struggles against left-handed pitching as well. Yeah, I think with Belt, you don't want him in there against lefties, especially when you think about him physically. I, to me, he would play all the time against righties and basically not against lefties. Um, and and I haven't asked John Schneider about this because um, we haven't heard from him since um, the Jays acquired Belt. But that's basically how I would line it up. And then with Varsho, his defense makes it interesting because he's such a good defender that you can justify putting him out there even if the matchup isn't that forgiving. But at the same time, they do have the option of putting Whit Merrifield in the outfield and then using Santiago Espinal at second base. And Espinal is actually pretty good against lefties. So that's one way to do it with Biggio on the bench in that scenario along with Varsho. I will uh, say this for Varsho. Last season against right-handed pitching, 121 weighted runs created plus. Against left-handed pitching, 52. 26 of his 27 homers came against right-handed pitching. So it's going to be... And look, matchups in baseball these days, like lefty-righty is barely a consideration anymore. It's pitch shapes, it's swing planes, it's the attack zones, it's all that stuff, right? But it is going to be an interesting thing. Brandon Belt's season is going to be really interesting to watch to see how much he's still got in the tank. He's been such a fascinating player throughout his career like he was just in the worst possible situation as a lefty hitter at oracle <laughs> you can't like it's just a terrible place to be and he had this really polarizing career with san francisco i think right there were times when he was he criticized for his striking out too much or he was you know being too passive at the plate he got like the joey Votto criticism of walking too much not hitting enough homers even though the ballpark did him uh no favors but i mean you just look at some of the more advanced statistics that we have to analyze production and it tells you that brandon belt even when the counting stats and the traditional stuff wasn't there still found a way to be a really productive part of a lineup and to not make outs and to uh really do really strong things for a batting order um and the other thing that kind of fascinates me about him is he's made really consistent adjustments throughout his career uh he's really like kind of tailored his swing to his ballpark to how pitchers are are pitching him like as the league has continued to adjust to him and to change the way that he's being attacked he has changed back like he went from crushing sinkers early in his career to you know everybody started attacking him with high four seamers like when that kind of evolution happened in the last few years so he got really good at hitting those pitches and then everyone started throwing him like you know breaking balls and then he got really good at barreling breaking balls from from right-handed pitching especially he's a guy who like when he was getting shifted aggressively would bunt against it regularly uh and he was like the one guy who like actually worked on that and made it part of his game where if you're going to take away the third baseman i'm just gonna yeah bunt the ball over there and take my take first base so i'm kind of interested to see how that evolution continues and how those adjustments continue now that he's out of oracle Bunter back. Dalton Varsho, also a good bunter. <laughs> yeah. He likes to bunt down the first baseline for base hits. There's some great uh, clips um, showing that off on on Twitter and probably elsewhere. So the Jays are going to be a bunting team. Love this. Well, although I'm not even kidding when I say that because I do love it. As a spectator, I think the bunts are incredibly entertaining. 
And two, if you're bunting for a base hit, that's great. If you can successfully bunt for a base hit, that's still a base hit. It doesn't matter. They're they're base hits. So, um, you know, sacrifice bunts, obviously out of vogue. Not a fan of those in most situations, um, nor major league managers, which is why we don't see them. But a bunt for a base hit, very encouraged by that. Farshow is a guy who has legit 30 homer power, and he's liable to bunt pretty regularly. He bunted 14 times in 2022, reached base on nine of them for singles. It's the second most That's in MLB. Great. <laughs> God, you should do it more at that rate. But, That's amazing. But for a guy with like his kind of power, like you don't see that from this brand of player because he's liable to leave the yard at any given time. Bring back the bunts. This is awesome. <laughs> the other thing when it comes to Belt is he was the first guy I thought of when we saw the new Rogers Center outfield dimensions. Because if you've watched him in San Fran at all, this is a guy who does not hit ground balls very, very seldom. Like one of the lowest ground ball rates in baseball for years and years. All he does is just like golfs, fly balls. He's got a pretty, actually, probably a better like all fields approach than people give him credit for. But his power has all been pull side at Oracle where it's really tough to like hit balls out. Here's what's happening at Rogers Center, right? The fence is coming in in right center from 375 to 359 in right center field so like that's going to be a pretty substantial adjustment since 2019 brandon belt has hit 20 balls to right field that traveled 359 feet or further and did not result in a home run so if he was playing with roger center dimensions since 2019 he would have 20 more homers uh, and Brandon Belt, by the way, missed substantial time <laughs> due to injury over that. It's not like he was getting 600 plate appearances a season. So he could have had many more than that. Like he was just such a terrible match for Oracle. I think that Brandon Belt is going to golf a bunch of towering fly balls into that visitor's bullpen in in right center field like the they're going to be like those north korean missile tests that they fire straight up in the air and then they like splash down off the coast of japan somewhere like he's just going to law balls up there into right center field and i think he could come away with a bunch of homers if he if he does that he was the guy like when when i saw the dimensions he was the first guy i thought of as he brandon belt is going to be really really benefited from from that wall coming in in right center belt it's a high drive to right out of here i'm gonna say welcome back how about that it's gonna be really interesting for hitters and for for pitchers in a different way but um like yeah i think belt could definitely benefit Somehow I just had this feeling that Vlad Jr. is going to hit a ton of homers at Rogers Center this year. Like I think, you know, he's probably due for a, a, you know, bit of a, if you want to call it bounce back season anyways. I think he's going to have a really productive season that's hardly going out on a limb. Um, But I think that even within Rogers Center, um, this is just a non-numerical hunch that I think Vlad Jr. is going to hit a ton of homers in Toronto this year. And then the other thing with the dimensions is like, you know, for relievers, warming up in those bullpens, whether it's the Loisigas or the Kenley Jansons or the Felix Batistas down the right field line, that really is going to be interesting. And I hope that, um, you know, I hope, like it's going to be a scene down there. Hopefully Jays fans are, you know, walking that line appropriately between going uh, right up to the line and not crossing it, but they're going to be right on top of those opposing relievers.
I think it's obviously going to be a benefit for guys like you know the lefties, right? Belt, Varshow, like Kevin Biggio is going to have a bunch more homers this year that were fly ball outs or warning track outs in, in previous seasons. The right-hander that I think of who I think is really going to benefit is actually Matt Chapman. Uh, if you look at, because and I was obviously looking this stuff up, uh, balls hit 359 feet or further to right field since 2019 on the Blue Jays right now. The righty with the most, Matt Chapman. Bo Bichette in second, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. tied with them. They each had 24, Matt Chapman 26. Matt Chapman's got some juice that way. So I think that he's probably, like, I we'll see how often he clears the wall, but I think he's liable to to clank a few balls off of it. Walk here, too. It wouldn't be, like, he's one of the best free agents, potentially, um, non-Shohei Otani division for, for next offseason. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do in that final season under contract with the Blue Jays, but they've got him for 162 more games plus the playoffs. So a lot of time before we start talking too much about, you know, whatever analogy Scott Boris comes up for Chapman. All right. I think we hit on all of it. Anything that we met? Oh, Bo Bichette arbitration case. Any thoughts there, Ben? We, we should probably touch on that at least a little bit. Well, what do you think about, about yeah. what's happening there? I think there's probably a full discussion to be had on Bo and Vlad and some comps and the whole dynamics, uh, you know, that go on behind the scenes there because it's a huge discussion for this franchise. Um, you know, in the meantime, my initial thoughts are that a I'm very curious to hear what Bo Bichette has to say about this process and where he's at with it. Um, B from the outside, not having heard from Bo Bichette as we record this, I think it's you know mostly business as usual. Um, but clearly Bo Bichette places a high value on the ability that he has and the production that he's delivered and expects to be compensated for that. Yeah, we don't have enough time to actually really get into this, do we? Maybe we'll do it's it. A full pod. It's it, a full it, pod. It honestly is like a full segment because it is fascinating and there's like a lot of layers to it. I'll, let me, I'll say this about it. We'll talk more about it another time, but like the one thing I think is not being discussed enough about the Bo Bichette arbitration case is the impact it is going to have globally in MLB. A lot of discussion about Bo's relationship with the Blue Jays and you know, what it says about him and all that. Like, if you are Bobby Witt Jr. or O'Neill Cruz or Jeremy Pena, you are Gunner watching Henderson. This. Gunnar Henderson, you are watching this so closely. You are as fascinated as anyone in this because this could be precedent setting, right? Like there is like, there could be very real fallout from this if Bo Bichette wins for every shortstop that comes after him who is like a four to five win player. This could be a huge standard setting case for star players at a premium position and the flip side of that is that if Bo Bichette loses it will suppress the salaries of each of those players that come after him of your wits of your cruises of your Bryson Stotts whoever if you're a young shortstop in this game or you're like you know a top prospect shortstop coming up or if you're the players association you really want Bichette to win this this would raise the tide for all boats to come after him and if you're a team that doesn't like to spend money, like I mentioned earlier, like if you're the Baltimore Orioles with Gunnar Henderson, if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates with O'Neill Cruz, you really want the Blue Jays to win this because if they do, it would control costs for management for years to come. Yeah, for sure. Agree with all that. It's really a big picture thing with the um, 
LRD on, on the MLB side and the Players Association. These are these have wide reaching consequences. And also, I think you made Bryson Stott's day by lumping him in with the rest of those all star shortstops. <laughs> I was reaching. I hope man. he listens. I hope Bryson, if you're I, listening, this episode's for you. I was reaching. I don't know. Is there another good? I was trying to think. Like you know why that was on my no. mind? Because I watched him with the Phillies in the NL uh, uh, DS and CS last year, and I was like, it's pretty good. Like. He's a good player, and he like I, I he didn't have the debut that obviously he he was hoping to. As I am like quickly looking at the you know production last year right now, eighty four WRC plus. So yeah, he does not belong in that conversation. <laughs> but you look at the minor league numbers, and you look at what he was able to do on the way up. I would say there is clearly more in that bat, and that he could play he could play his way into that conversation at least. Great walk up music too. <laughs> oh yeah oh phenomenal oh yeah. uh, it's another thing that we'll talk about down the line was the atmospheres in philly and san diego by the way during the playoffs last year during the postseason some of the conversations that oh it's a we're gonna do a whole segment on this because i was i had yeah. a million thoughts just it was so, so eye-opening getting to be around other teams and talking to like players and 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 coaches and people you know on the staffs there and in that role that that i was filling with tv during the playoffs it gave me great perspective on a lot of things that the Blue Jays are doing and a lot of the conversations that we have about the Blue Jays during the year. So like, let's put a pin in that, but like Arden's observations from the NLDS and LCS last year are going to be something that we're going to have to talk about going forward. Lots to talk about. Let's do it soon. Lots to talk about this year, Ben. So that's it. That is your first ATL of the ninth season. Thank you so much for listening for uh, being here with us through all these years. If you're a new listener, if you're a day oneer, we appreciate it. Again, please hit us up with topic ideas on topic or off topic, baseball or not baseball, on Twitter, Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson Smith, via email at the letters at sportsnet.ca. For Ben, for our producer, Christian Ryan, my name is Arden Zwelling, and we will talk to you next time on at the letters.